Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who've embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world. You know, whether or not you've considered moving abroad or taking on an international role, globalization will impact your career. So join us for a lively discussion as we explore what an international career really means. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. In season two, we find ourselves in a fast-changing world, still affected by the pandemic, where we must adapt to succeed. Come with us as we share with you how to craft your place in the new global workspace. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Christine Davies, the CEO and founder of Polygage, an online marketplace for companies seeking policy insights and government affairs services. Christine started the company in May of 2020 after two decades of working at the intersection of public and private sectors, including the Asia Society, Microsoft, U.S. Department of State, and the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, as well as a stint in Thailand for the American Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Christine. It's great to have you. Thank you, Stacy. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Terrific. So let's get started. First question, one of the objectives of this podcast is to provide a sense of the careers that are out there. You have had quite a diverse career working in many different places. Tell us about it and what you do and your role today with Polygage. Absolutely. It, it has been a bit of a mosaic uh, by design, <laughs> and uh, I've been fortunate to sit in a few chairs around the table that really brings the public and private sectors together. Because ever since, you know, I was starting out on my career journey, I've always been really interested in kind of the intersection of those two sectors. So I'm grateful to have spent that first chapter of my career at the office of the U.S. Trade Representative and with the U.S. Department of State, where I was based in Washington, D.C., but really traveling the world. Um, I think I made it to about 88-0 countries uh, during those six years. And then with the American Chamber of Commerce, where I was on the ground in Bangkok, Thailand, uh, because those experiences gave me such valuable opportunities to see firsthand the global business issues, uh, what companies in civil society were facing from government activity, how they could work together to be more effective combating different challenges related to the global economy. I then had a great experience with Microsoft, working with public sector customers, and then that global nonprofit experience with Asia Society, all of which fed into the creation of Polygage, you know, where we are really seeking to help executives at organizations of all sizes have access to the policy intelligence and the government affairs services that they need right when they need them. Uh, from a curated and vetted network of experts. So I continue to work every day now with a network of executives that I literally began building right out of college, uh, as well as many new partners who I'm meeting every day, which is exciting, trying to help them mitigate risk and solve problems that come out of regulation, um, as well as helping them work more proactively with government leaders uh, to help with job creation and, and economic growth. Oh, wonderful. So is your job and your role now, is it global? Do you have global clients or do you have large multinationals that work all over the world that deal with issues all over the place? You know, all of the above. Uh, and I think one of the most exciting sectors that we're working with are with startup companies or, you know, small businesses. Sometimes we reserve the term startup just for tech 
companies, but but I consider even small businesses certainly to be startups if they're if they're maybe not using technology as much that are very interested in global engagement. And so helping them to assess, you know, markets that may be uh, interesting uh, for them to consider moving into, thinking about the steps they need to take before they formally, you know, set up shop or sell something into that into that economy, uh, and then vice versa, you know, companies from outside of the United States that are looking to do the same thing here. Um, and I would just say, especially because in the United States, you know, Americans don't appreciate it so much. Uh, but you know, our system with 50 states, all with different regulations and approaches to industry, as well as, of course, uh, our federal government based in Washington. Um, companies from outside of the United States have a lot of questions. <laughs> so it's great to be able to help them navigate uh, those challenges and opportunities too. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I can see how you really filled a void of what was needed out there. I mean, just thinking about the small companies, I work with some some um, SMEs around the world. Yeah, there's so much that that they don't know, and they don't even have the capacity to begin or even know where to begin investigating. So that's terrific. How exciting. And what a, what a neat, neat job. Yeah. So and, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of navigators, you know, out there who are helping to do this. You know, we're trying to really help uh, kind of on a uh, immediate and more modular basis, our business models little different, but uh, we're great to be part of, it's great to be part of this community, you know, trying to, to help these companies get their footing and, and anticipate the types of things they might encounter so they can avoid crises once they get, once they get started. Yeah, that's great. So, so for students interested in some type of public policy, um, government affairs, kind of take a step back a little bit. What are the greatest opportunities and challenges that you see today in this industry that you've described and those you see coming in the next few years? You know, I think that it's a great time to be interested in public policy and government affairs. I think it's also a great time to be looking at doing, you know, working in those areas through uh, business, through the private sector. You know, I would say that, you know, largely because of the pandemic, but maybe it's also just a unique chapter, you know, kind of that our world is going through, possibly, you know, encouraged by the climate issues that we're facing. Uh, globalization certainly, you know, continues to grow our, our global connectivity every year. And so I think that, you know, the activities of government, the regulations cross-border as well as domestic uh, that are coming out of governments all over the world, you know, all across the United States and all over the world, um, it's never been, you know, more inherent for companies and organizations to, to stay on top of those, those issues. And they need smart people to help them do that. You know, this is a human uh, management issue largely. There's a lot of tools <laughs> that uh, tech from technology, artificial intelligence, et cetera, that can help with that, uh, but this is largely a human intelligence game. And so getting uh, involved, you know, with these organizations to help them navigate the issues that will impact, uh, you know, their, their success, I think is a really strong opportunity. Um, and I think, you know, in particular, you know, working on these issues, uh, government, private sector intersection issues from the business realm, whether as a consultant, or as an inside hire, you know, there's really a huge opportunity, especially right now, for the private sector to have a strong role in addressing problems that have previously been left to government. So I'm always a champion for people that are considering government service, you know, civil service. But there are a number of polls out there. Uh, I think the Pew Center just issued one in the last couple of months uh, that shows that right now the public is trusting companies more than they do government leaders uh, to address the challenges, you know, facing our society. And so those working in business, you know, have a huge opportunity to take action, 
to use their products and services to drive impact as well as profits. The two are not mutually exclusive anymore. And so I'd also say, you know, based on my experience and, and where I sit, um, those who are interested in the role that technology can play specifically, I think the sky is the limit, you know, on creative ways for entrepreneurs to try and solve pain points using technology, which can drive awareness and efficiency in the development and delivery of products and services of all types. Well, that's amazing. I guess it sounds like a booming field. So good for um, students and recent people in their early careers uh, to pursue. But can you get very granular for me? Because a lot of times that's what our listeners ask for. Very specifically, if a, if a student or someone just about to launch into their job search were interested in something like this, what exactly would they do? So, you know, my advice, certainly as they as they consider um, what they want to do is always about, you know, aligning interests and passions with job opportunities, because I think that um, as cliche as it sounds, you know, making sure that the company or the organization, the mission is the right fit is really critical. Um, sometimes finding an opportunity that isn't a great fit in that regard could turn someone off from a you know career in an industry and that's unfortunate because there may be another fit you know with a job that would be particularly uh, would be a better fit and would allow them to thrive and contribute you know in that in that industry uh, as a whole but I also think that if a, if a student recognizing that someone in the early stages of their career you're not locked in you know, you've got mobility opportunities uh, to, to learn and to adjust, you know, as you begin this hopefully incredibly exciting journey. Um, I think it's really important to lean in during those early years and engage with your organization, you know, that you've started with as much as possible. Um, I often tell people, for example, don't wait to be asked, you know, uh, offer to work on things that you do have an interest in or where you think you can learn from leaders, you know, of that project who are particularly interesting to you, or you think offer something that you'd really just like to learn. Uh, you'd like to learn from them, learn how they developed their expertise or their approach. You have to do this while managing what you were hired to do, of course, uh, but really working to understand your organization, your industry, where you think there might be room for improvement from a different process or an approach, even though you're young. Um, you know, I think that while a lot of people in the early days of their career need to be open to receiving learning <laughs> from their managers in a lot, a lot of occasions, they can also be very proactive uh, in, in how they learn and what they learn uh, by, again, really leaning in and, and exercising a lot of curiosity, trying to, to learn as much as they can from those early experiences to then assess if it's the right fit for them or if there's possibly some tweaks that are needed. Mm, that's great. Awesome. So so um, you mentioned some of the skills. So I want to follow up with that. Some of the skills, critical skills that are, that are um, important for new hires in your field. You mentioned um, initiative, listening, learning, um, kind of leaning in, kind of the passion. What else? So I think it's a couple of things. You know, I think in business and in the grinding world of startups in particular, although this certainly, you know, goes beyond just having a conversation about working in startups, attitude is everything. You know, I know I hire much more on attitude than I do on technical skills because the latter can be taught. Um, new hires who offer to help without waiting to be asked are golden. You know, those who offer thoughtful ideas based on the research that they're doing, which really, you know, signals their interest 
um, based on the types of things they're learning on a day-to-day, you know, basis. That makes them a really distinctive, you know, employee or team member. Um, But that said, it's also important to lean into data collection uh, and interpretation because every activity you do uh, as a business results in data that you can learn from and you need to learn from. And so while I don't expect new hires to be data geniuses uh, or to even have a real love for data, I can honestly say I do not. You know, I do not have a numbers dispensation, uh, but I've really learned to be thinking every day. And I would encourage others to be thinking every day in their roles about what data are you gathering? What are you learning from it? so that it can guide your organization's future decisions. So I do think, and and I've heard a lot of, you know, uh, very accomplished people talk about that. Uh, You don't have to be, again, a numbers genius, but you have to respect uh, and really work to make sure you're factoring, you know, data, what the data is telling you, trying to learn what the data is telling you into the decisions that you're making. And that applies, obviously, everything you said applies to a global role, but what specific um, skill that would uh, that would relate to working on a global scale do you see is important? I do think the additional layer, you know, to what I've just shared, if, if someone's going to be working globally, whether that's in, you know, another country or certainly cross cultures, is to have that layer of understanding cultural context. Um, in some places, you know, passion can be mistaken for hubris, you know, trying to demonstrate enthusiasm, trying to come up with new ideas can be taken as a sign of disrespect. So, you know, one caveat I would say in a global role is um, to determine how best to demonstrate interest and energy uh, in a way that makes sense culturally. I think you can do that by at least starting in more of an observation posture, you know, take the time to kind of learn um, how ideas are best presented and and how uh, work, you know, is best appreciated. Sometimes, by the way, that can be a corporate culture, not just a country <laughs> or a geographic cultural uh, issue. Um, and also, I would encourage folks to talk with people who've worked there recently, whether that's, you know, within the company itself, certainly in the country or the region, uh, to really make sure they understand, you know, how how best they might navigate cultural sensitivities. Uh, but I will say that second point I made about data, I haven't found a company or an organization yet <laughs> where data appreciation uh, isn't pretty universal. And so again, bringing that uh, dispensation and understanding to a global role will be just as important as uh, bringing it to, to one that, that may be U.S. focused, uh, at least initially. Wonderful advice for our listeners. Thank you for all of that. Rich information on data, especially. Um, it really has changed over the last uh, five years or so, I see. Um, growing in more importance. Um, let's change a little bit now, turn a little bit to the workplace trends that have emerged besides the data, such as remote work, hybrid schedules, rapid advances in technology, AI. Those are just a few of the things that we've seen in really just the last 18 months. Um, Can you pick one? Just tell me about one of them and how you see it affecting the future of work. God, it really is enough to make your head spin, isn't it? Yeah, sure <laughs> we're is. Living, yeah, we're, we're really living through a period, not just in the last 18 months, but but I think you're so right. You know, just um, recently, I, I would say with the advances of technology in particular, maybe to focus a bit on that, um, I think, you know, changes in technology are going to drive the future of work, uh, especially in facilitating how we work and what we work on. You know, there's really never been more access to both tools, software, uh, other types of tools uh, in the technical realm that can quickly analyze data uh, and provide access to subject matter, you know, intelligence 
um, than we've ever seen. So organizations, you know, now can easily tap into these products and services uh, to really catalyze the impact that their teams and company can have. Um, I think it's important to stress, you know, I'm not seeing this as a huge displacement. I'm seeing a lot of the technology that's out there as a major enabler. Um, and even if we think about this on a global scale, you know, everyone might think that, oh, the internet, you know, doesn't have borders. And so really it's a, it's a global realm in and of itself, which is true. But again, you know, it's very human and, and trying to connect with other humans is still a very important element of doing business or, you know, working, uh, working within an organization, trying to achieve goals. And so from what I've seen, you know, technology is making the search for global partners whether they're sell to or they're sell with partners, um, easier than ever before, whether it's through online marketplaces or just online networks that are accessible and active. Um, and this, you know, not only expands what an organization is then capable of acting on, uh, but, you know, the ability to search so efficiently saves them a lot of time and money. Um, so technology, again, to me, it's really an enabler for organizations to advance in their industries, whether globally or locally. Um, and also for those that, you know, are already having impact, it can really springboard the reach and the impact that they can have. Uh, and so that's certainly an area that I think, you know, as people are, are moving into their careers, those exciting early chapters, you know, staying abreast uh, of the technologies, you know, whether it's in your role or it's in your industry uh, that can help you, you know, do more, do more better, do more, more quickly, have better impact. I think those are going to be, uh, that, that's a very important area for all of us to watch. I'm glad you, you say that and you call it out because so many students I hear, they're like, well, that, well, that's for the computer programming. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, as you said, so much more eloquently than I will right now, technology as an enabler. So that's, <laughs> that is so, so important. Yeah. And it makes yeah. me think about this emerging trend, um, you know, the rise of the global independent worker, right? I read uh, a piece recently that there are 2 billion independent workers around the world. Um, that's kind of a lot of people um, when you think about it. Um, and some studies showing that organizations are going to hire less full-time employees with benefits for the long term and just more temporary contract workers to fill a need or to rent these employees for a while. You know, how do you see this um, affecting your industry or do you? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, this trend is one of the reasons that companies like Polygage exist. You know, we really want to help organizations benefit from the talent fluidity um, that quite frankly is being more and more desired by the labor force. You know, there's, there's a good bit being said about companies trying to cut costs and reclassify employees as contractors. Um, but from my experience, you know, that is more of a reaction to the preference of many workers, as you mentioned, that figure um, who want to have the flexibility to still be able to be engaged with their organization, to, to be professionally engaged, while they also you know, want to devote energy to other aspects of their lives, whether they're raising children or they're taking care of an elderly relative, or maybe they just you know, want to take their foot off the gas a little bit um, and, and still have the ability to participate. But I also do think there's a huge driver and certainly the pandemic and, you know, some of the, um, you know, opportunity that, that it provided to, to, 
sit back and think about, you know, our lives and, and how we want to get the most out of, you know, the, the days and months and years, you know, that we have uh, to, 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 to be active. Um, people want to have the flexibility to work on projects that motivate them, you know, instead of being in a static role that's sometimes interesting and sometimes not. So um, I do think that this is a, a powerful trend. I think there's a lot of opportunity you know, on both sides, there's there is a desire by companies to tap into uh, this towards this sort of talent fluidity and and be able to have you know great uh, uh, expertise you know in certain roles where they're going to need it uh, and make sure that that's fresh and it's very uh, you know as as business needs change they can tap into um, the folks who are the best at different functions that that they may need covered. I think it's also though coming out of the desire again by the workforce to have that sort of flexibility um, in, in the work that they do, you know, throughout the, the duration of their careers. That's interesting to know. I would think that it is applicable to your industry. It makes a lot of sense to me, certainly. Yeah. I've heard some listeners are like um, early in their career, like it terrifies them to think that they'd actually have to go looking for contracts on a regular basis. But, uh, you know, well, we've all seen the shift of work, right? How things that's right. Yeah. And I think it's important to stress, I mean, I do not see employee, you know, employee situations going away. I think that um, for the most part, you know, companies need employees, companies need team members who are dedicated, um, who have the historical knowledge of all the different activities and, and efforts that a company has made. But I do think that, you know, there is now an opportunity, whether it's, you know, both through technology as well as through just um, workforce preference, you know, to supplement, you know, those types of roles um, with, you know, the ability to, to have uh, more flexibility, you know, with uh, sometimes on a case by case basis, it's not just, you know, related to a particular function, uh, but it can be related to an issue or a topic that the company's dealing with. Um, so hopefully it will create, you know, a lot of win-win situations for uh, both the companies as, or organizations as well as the, uh, the workers involved. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So global's everywhere, right? Um, you know it. We live it. We live these lives. And whether students um, or recent graduates think they need or want a global career or not, all of us are affected by globalizations, our lives, our lifestyles. And we've seen that clearly um, with these recent couple of years, um, really more, five, 10 years with um, you know the ubiquity of communications, um, technology, internet, as you've mentioned. So we're affected and impacted by global events. So it's critical for our listeners to understand, you know, what is globalization? How do they prepare for it? Um, as I said, you and I have worked in these global roles, and I'm, sh I'm sure you have seen so many changes. But what specific advice do you have for those students who are either, A, interested in pursuing a global career, or just pursuing the knowledge and experience that they know they need, but they don't, know we, they don't really know what to do in order to, to succeed um, in the workplace today? So I think it's such an important question, Stacey. I mean, the reality is global roles, I don't think, have ever been more competitive than they are today. And part of that is due to the wonderful rise of the fact that um, there's a lot of qualified talent, you know, in uh markets outside of the United States. So for uh, Americans looking to work abroad or even for other countries, you know, uh, national nationalities looking to work in, in other countries themselves, you know, there's a lot of competition to, to have those types of, of roles with multinational companies and be able to work cross-border. So I would say, you know, you really have to think about how you can drive value. And I think that on a, on a relatively simple level, although I think it's overlooked, 
um, people have got to stay informed. You know, they really need to uh, understand, you know, what's happening in the markets or the, the, the industry areas that they're covering. Um, and they also really need to use that knowledge that they're getting from reading, from watching, from listening, you know, uh, different assessments and, and being connected, you know, within, within their industry groups. Um, they need to use that information to anticipate um, the challenges that may be coming down the pike. Um, some of them will turn out to be true, others won't. But using, you know, that sense of, of understanding and uh, anticipating potential challenges, that helps you come up with ideas that you can propose to your organization, uh, that you can act, that they can act on, that you can act on together, that can help mitigate risks before they become crises. Sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot of investment, you know, to uh, at least prepare for scenarios that could face the company one, five, 10 years down the line and prevent those scenarios from becoming billion dollar risks, you know, if you will, or multi-billion dollar risks. So I know in some ways it sounds easier said than done, but starting, you know, that type of effort to be a really good anticipator uh, and thinker long-term, you know, on behalf of your organization really starts from just, again, leaning in and trying to learn as much about your region uh, or the country that you're per, that you're focused on uh, and the industry that you're involved in as a, as a great first start. Wonderful. Great piece of advice that everybody can do. You don't ha have to have a passport. You don't have to get on a plane. You can do it uh, right there in your home, your office, what have you. That's great. Beautiful advice. Thank you for that, Christine. Absolutely. As we begin to wrap up, tell me, um, share with the, share with us, uh, what's a tactic that you have used in dealing with change? We have experienced a lot of change lately, anytime throughout your career, right? Um, and how has it helped? I, mean, I, I think a lot of listeners um, are, are struggling as they adapt to these rapid changes that we're seeing in the workforce. Absolutely. You know, I, I have, I have, Indeed, I have dealt or faced a lot of change <laughs> over the course of, of my career, whether it be, you know, during a specific uh, chapter, a specific role, or certainly across um, the, the scope of the many roles that I've had. And I really try to look at change as an opportunity and not a threat. I think it's very easy when we face uh, a change situation, whether it's a change that we're considering, you know, proactively ourselves uh, or one that's especially, I would say, being forced on us, you know, by the organization or, or some other force that we're that we're working with, um, to be very defensive and to you know turn that that begin thinking about that change situation as something that could really harm us. And so, I would say my tactic is take a deep breath when you're faced with change, find the space, you know, whether it's a couple of hours or maybe even a day, um, to really think about how can I turn this change experience into an opportunity? Or what is the opportunity, you know, that I'd be looking to get out of uh, this, this change that's being proposed or being forced on me? And I think when you truly do look at change, you know, through a positive lens, a lens of opportunity, uh, that's what gives you, you know, more control of the situation. That's what's going to give you the mental clarity uh, and the energy that's needed to hopefully, uh, or at least to have a better chance of, of making that change more of a positive experience for you. Great stuff. Change is opportunity in no matter what area of our lives, work, personal. That's, that's that's the short version. You got it. <laughs> that is great. Thank you for that. Uh, so as we wrap up, anything else you'd like to add that you want to share with our listeners? 
You know, I do want to just say, and this is something that I share with, you know, folks who I've been directly mentoring for years, um, networking is really important for career success. And I think many people are comfortable with making friends, but for some reason they clam up um, when it comes to workplace or industry networking. And I would say that, especially given what we're going through, you know, with more of our work being virtual, I think that as, as uh, listeners move into the, the, the workplace and onto their career tracks, they're going to face, you know, a bit more isolation than maybe those of us who um, were active in the workforce pre-pandemic. And so I think they're going to need to find new ways, you know, to network and to identify those contacts since they won't have exposure directly uh, around whether it's the the water cooler cliche or just, you know, through uh, other types of collision uh, bearing opportunities. And so I think it's really important for people to carve out some time uh, to be thinking about the ecosystem of potential contacts in their industry or geography. Again, maybe it's folks they're learning about through the research and trying to stay informed uh, that there are those types of activities that they're doing. I would say, don't be afraid to reach out you know, get to know people in your company or your industry, even if they're not people who you're directly working with, you know, on a daily basis. Um, leverage your networks, whether they're, you know, networks from your schools, uh, from sororities or fraternities or other organizations that you're a part of. Um, you know, sending a friendly email introduction, uh, maybe couched with an offer to be helpful to that executive, if you ever can be, letting them know, you know, what it is you're working on, but, but offering that, uh, making that offer to be helpful. Um, and then, you know, saying that you'd love to seek, you know, their advice or, or learn a bit more about their journeys over a virtual coffee or hopefully an in-person coffee as we're moving back, you know, into more of that. And, and hopefully this will change a bit. But I just, I would hate to see students miss those networking opportunities that I think are so important for laying a foundation for the next opportunity and the next opportunity earlier in their careers. So definitely a point I wanted to make sure to get in today. That's wonderful. Great advice and persistence because a lot of times people do not respond to um, newbies and people entering the workforce. So so just 100%. be persistent. Yep. And don't take it personally, right? And absolutely. <laughs> don't take it personally. Move on and keep keep pursuing. And also send follow-ups, right? Because even though we're not we're not necessarily ignoring people, right? It's just a person can be busy, executives are busy, and they may forget about that uh, that solicitation for a couple of weeks. So that's right. right. And I, I would totally second that, Stacy. I think don't take it personally. Um, and I think it's so important for for you know people that are just entering the career their career trajectories, you know, this is, these are early days. You're not going to have everything figured out in a year or even 10 years. You, you may not feel that you found the perfect fit, you know, for a while as you begin this hopefully um, long and, and, and exciting journey. Um, and so again, looking for leaders you can learn from, really trying to, you know, be selective as much as you can with organizations that are working on things that you care about that are going to excite you to get to work every day. Um, I think that can be, you know, that leads to the great foundation for happiness, which I think will really drive career satisfaction long term. Well, thank you very much for your time. And I'd like to kind of shout out as congratulations, because I know you were named to the Business 20 B20 Task Force on Employment and Education dur during Italy's G20. Thank you. Uh, host last year. So well done. That's amazing stuff. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. And kudos to you and congratulations on starting an amazing new company. 
Thanks so much, Stacey. Now we'll see if the G20 leaders act on some of the employment and education uh, policies that we recommended. But if they do, hopefully it'll, it'll be beneficial to all of us. I hope so. Great. Thanks again, Christine. Take care. Thank you. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global.